Wow. Let's all open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. We have an awesome opportunity in this church for the next probably two years or until Jesus comes back to preach the gospel as Jesus did. Let me make this really clear to you. Let me explain to you what's going on. For the next however long it takes, I'm going to now go through the entire book of Matthew. The entire book of Matthew. So every week when you come, you know what I'm preaching on. I am preaching on the book of Matthew. Now, who is the book of Matthew written about? Who's the main character in the book of Matthew? Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Amen. And what I want you to see over the next probably two years, and I don't think it will get boring at all. How many think it will still be exciting even after two years? Amen. I want you to see what Jesus taught. It's not what your professor said Jesus taught. It's not what, uh, you know, somebody made up or a pastor made up and tells you a cute little story about when he grew up on the farm and used to feed the chickens and how he learned a life lesson and tags a little scripture at the end of his, his sermon. No, we are going to learn exactly what this man taught. If he told us to jump up and down on one leg and sing the Star Spangled Banner, then we're going to learn about that. But how many know he didn't teach us to do that? If he told us to pray to his mother and to eat magical wafers and, and, and drink magical juice, then we'll do that. But how many know he didn't teach us to do that? If he said to his disciples, hey, when you guys die, I want people praying to you, we'll do that. But he's not going to do that. What you're going to, excuse me, what you're going to hear in the next few months and years is what Jesus Christ, the man, somebody say the man, what the man taught. Amen. Now, let me just give you a little history here. The book of Matthew, who do you, how many people can probably guess who wrote the book of Matthew? Who? What's his name? Matthew. Yes. Yeah. The book of Matthew is written by Matthew. Now, Matthew was a tax collector before he met Jesus. Now, I want everybody to think about this for a second, about how awesome Jesus is. Jesus, when he started his ministry, was 30 years old. Now, I'm not trying to say, like, I am Jesus in any sort of way. I'm trying to live like him, obviously. But Jesus was my age, 30 years old, because I'm 30. Could you imagine a 30-year-old man walking on water saying, I'm going to come down to my kingdom and judge this whole world? That would be a little weird if the man wasn't who he said he was. Are you all listening to me? But Jesus was 30 years old, a young man, and he walked up to Matthew, was a tax collector. He worked for the government. He was probably in his 40s or 50s, an older man, probably pretty wealthy. He was also probably a thief. He probably stole money from his own people as a tax collector. He probably ripped his own people off the Jews because the Jews were occupied by the Roman, Roman nation, and the Romans had providences and states like how we have states, and the Romans really taxed other citizens of different nations. So, you know, if you were a Jew, you would get heavily taxed. And what they made was a Jewish people to uh, tax their own people and be the middleman. So that's what Matthew was. And we're going to find out about him more. And his real name in Hebrew is Levi. And Jesus just walks up to this man and says, get up, Matthew, come and follow me. So just imagine me like walking downtown, looking at somebody like in an office building saying, get up and follow me. We're going to go to heaven. I'm going to teach you how to live for me. So you, you can understand. Now, I'm not trying to say that this is sacrilegious. I just want you to understand what these men had, what type of price they had to pay to follow Jesus. It wasn't like mystical for them. You understand? Jesus didn't walk up to them with that little halo on his head. And he was like, oh, and Matthew was like, Jesus. 
No, Jesus was a man. He, he was the God-man, but when he came in the flesh, the Bible says that there was nothing about him that we would have ever attributed deity. He did not, you know, he didn't float on clouds. He got tired. He had to eat. He had to use the bathroom. He came and lived like a man. Are you all listening to me? And he walks up to Matthew, and he's like, come follow me. And Matthew gives up all of his money, gives up all of his business, and follows Jesus. That was his choice to follow God. That's a disciple. Somebody say amen. Now, this man obviously sees the whole life of Jesus. He's with Jesus for 30 years. So at the age of 33, Jesus is crucified. He's buried. Then he raises from the dead, and he watches Jesus leave the earth. And at the last chapter, you can skip ahead, and I hope, hopefully, and I hope that everybody here will read their Bible. Amen. How many are going to read the book of Matthew? We all do that? Amen. Two of you. How about everybody? Will everybody read the book of Matthew? Okay. So just read it like a hundred times as we go through. I, I guarantee you'll get something new out of it every time, okay? But at the end of the book of Matthew, uh, the, Matthew records Jesus' last words as being, Go unto all the world and preach this gospel, making disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How many does that sound familiar to you, right? Amen? So Matthew now sees all of that, hears all of that, and what does he do? He then says, man, I have got to record this man's life. I have got to talk about who this man is so that for generations and generations to come, people can learn about Jesus. That was the reason why he wrote the book of Matthew. He is writing this book so that Christians can know about Jesus. Are you all ready to learn about Jesus? Amen. Okay, so let's go now to the first teaching of Jesus in Matthew 4, verse 1. What happened in just the previous chapters are called the Beatitudes, uh, not the Beatitudes, the Begots. The Begots are short for begotten. It says like, you know, Matthew begot Gary, Gary begot Mike. And it talks about the fathers and their children. How many have ever read the Begots before? Okay, that's what that means. It's telling you the genealogy of Jesus. So Matthew starts off saying, Jesus in his earthly body came through the line of David. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then after the genealogy of Jesus, then you learn about this man named John the Baptist. Everyone say John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a crazy, radical man for Jesus. He lived in a cave. He wore a camel skin outfit. He ate locusts, okay, and he was crazy for Jesus. That was radical back then. How many can say radical? So we're not always trying to fit in. So this guy was radical. And we're going to get to John the Baptist in just a minute. I'm only skipping over it now because I want to go on a succession of Jesus's actual teachings. So John the it's begots, then John the Baptist, then Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, and then now you hear Jesus talking and holding conversations for the first time. And guess who Jesus is having a conversation with for the first time in the book of Matthew? The devil. <laughs> You see, this story is teaching us, or this book rather, is teaching us that Jesus came here to destroy the devil. Now, some of us think that Jesus and the devil are like two boxers going back and forth, you know. And it's like every now and then the devil, you know, he just kind of jukes out Jesus. And poof, he gets a good punch and Jesus is like, oh, that was good, devil. But now take this. Listen to me. There is not some cosmic battle between Jesus and the devil. They're not like in some big arm wrestling match right now. The Bible says when they kicked the devil out of heaven, it was like lightning. Get out of here, Satan. And he came out. That was it. It was no battle between 
between Jesus and the devil. Are you all listening to me? The battle is between man and the devil. That is why God had to become man and then whoop the devil for us. Amen? So it wasn't like Jesus and the devil were having some big battle here. It's Jesus defeated the devil, kicked him out of heaven, and then we received the temptation of the devil, sin, and made the devil the king of this earth. We did that by sinning. Adam and Eve gave the keys of dominion. See, God said to Adam and Eve, you have dominion over this earth. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they gave it back to the, they gave it to the devil. So Jesus said, man, I have got to come down there and do this myself. And that's where you see him now in Matthew 4. If you're there, can you say, I'm there? Today's lesson is how to fight temptation. Here we go. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Which, by the way, we just read that today. That was a prophecy in Psalms 91. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Y'all caught that? Amen, because that was what you just heard today. All right, moving on now to verse 7. Jesus said to him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Everybody say this with me. Fight temptation. Come on, look to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you got to fight temptation. Here we see that Jesus is now led into temptation to be tempted by the devil. Why is this happening to Jesus? Because the Bible says that Jesus came to be on this earth as a man. He did not come here zapping out, you know, the world, setting things on fire, floating on sky. He did not come here as God just to be worshipped. He came here to be a man, to show us the example of how men might to li- have to live. He's called in Romans the second Adam. So Adam, the first created man, was made perfect, yet he sinned and messed it all up. Jesus comes perfect, and he is here to show us that we can perfectly obey God. He came as man. So when you read all through the book of Matthew. He is the God man, but he does not rely upon his God powers. He relies upon the same relationship with God that you and I would rely upon. That's on God's word and his Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? So I want you to think about this. Jesus takes on flesh and the Bible says he limits his power now from being God and he walks as man walks. And so now he faces temptation. Jesus God the Son, the second person of the Godhead in the Trinity, is now being tempted. The very one who cast Satan out of heaven like lightning is now having a conversation with him on equal ground. Here the devil now is going to tempt Jesus on things that are meaningful to him. He doesn't tempt Jesus with women. He doesn't tempt Jesus with money and riches. He begins to tempt Jesus with everything that would be relevant to Jesus' flesh at that moment. 
He begins to tempt Jesus with food. Why? Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. The devil says, Jesus turned these rocks into stone. See, Jesus could have turned rock into stone. How many know God could do that? But you see, as man... Jesus limited himself to only live as man. So by doing that, he would have gotten outside of the rules of redemption, and he could not have been our Savior. Are you listening? Because a man had to pay the price first. Y'all going to learn something right here. I just really feel y'all going to learn something today. Are y'all with me? This is just the introduction, and I can already see people's minds going, boy, you didn't hear this before. I know we've all heard that Jesus loves us, John three sixteen, but you're going to learn something about Jesus today. Amen? So as a man, he was being tempted because the devil said, hey, if I can get him to act like God, then that means God can't die on a cross. Man has to die on a cross. So the moment he starts using his superhuman powers, he's out the game. Man just lost their only chance of redemption. You see, the devil first tempted him with the flesh. He wanted Jesus to give up redemption for his own flesh to eat. The second temptation then comes when he brings him up on a high part of the Jerusalem uh, uh, temple, a high part of the city. And he says, Jesus, throw yourself off and let angels catch you. Once again, now he's tempting him in the same manner. But if you look at what he tempts him with, he says right here, he says, verse 6, if you are the son of God. The first temptation for Jesus was his flesh. Now it's his divinity. Oh, Jesus, I see you walking in the flesh. Maybe you're not God anymore. Why don't you jump down off this building and show me that you're still God? Let the angels catch you. Show me right now you're still God. If you are the Son of God, he attacks his identity. Hello, somebody. Y'all listening? First thing, he attacks his flesh. Next thing, he attacks, he attacks his identity as God. And then Jesus says to him, do not test the Lord your God. He's telling the devil, I don't have to prove it to you who I am. And I want to make some applications here, but I can't start preaching yet. Amen. You can see where I'm going to go with some of these points here. But the devil tries to tempt him by getting him to doubt his identity. Now, the third thing is, has to do with the worship of God itself. Satan says, now look, Jesus. I know what you've come here to do. You've come here to redeem mankind because mankind is under my authority. So, Jesus, let's save the whole cross. Let's save all of the punishment and the pain. I'll tell you what, Jesus. You bow down to me now, and I will give you the kingdoms of this world and their splendor. If you notice, Jesus did not say he was a liar right there. Jesus did not say, oh, devil, if I bow down to you, you can't give that to me. No, the devil knew that he had the authority of this earth, and he knew that he could give it to people. See, i got to give you some revelation. You want to know why Bill Gates and people like that succeed on this earth? Because the devil has authority down here. You see, just because people have money and popularity and politicians, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily on God's side. The devil can promote. The devil can bless in his kingdom because he's got dominion down here. Hello? That will blow you away if you just think about that for a minute. Everything that you see down here isn't necessarily good. It may glitter, it may shine, but it doesn't mean it's all gold. Amen? And so what Jesus is being tempted with here is his purpose. First thing Jesus is tempted with is his flesh. Second thing Jesus is tempted with is his identity. The third thing now is his purpose. Jesus, let's go around the cross. Bow down to me now, and I'll give you the world what you want. 
Now, I can only imagine what type of cataclysmic event would happen if Jesus would have bowed down to the devil. He would have gotten the earth, but he would have then broke up the Trinity. I don't know what in the world would have happened, but I thank God that this was not a possibility in Jesus' mind. And that might just blow you away if you want to think about some of you deep thinkers like Ish. What would happen if Jesus would have sinned? That would have been crazy. Here comes Jesus bowing down, kissing the devil's feet. That would have been nuts, amen. Oh, I see, that's messing with y'all right now. He won't think about it, okay? He doesn't do it, by the way. So the first thing Jesus is tempted with is his flesh. Second thing he is tempted with is his identity. And the third thing he's tempted with is his what? His purpose. Now I want to ask you a question today. What are you tempted with? What is the devil now bringing to you? You see, when I talk to our young people, these are the things that I like to show them. And there's some old people that still get caught up in this. How many can say amen to that? You see, what begins to happen in our life is we begin to get tempted with things that are relevant to us. Once again, Jesus was not being tempted with owning a big business. Jesus was not tempted with money. See, the devil knows exactly what entices you and I. When he tempted Jesus, he went right to his flesh that was hungry. He knew what Jesus was dealing with. He went right to Jesus' identity because he knew Jesus was walking in the flesh, dealing with this identity of God and man. And he went right to Jesus' purpose, and he said, I want to get you off track. See, what are things in your life that the devil's trying to get you off target? See, that's a temptation to try to get you to sin. It may be the things of this world. As outlandish as lust and gangs and drugs. It may be things that seem good, but they're false hopes and dreams. Maybe, you know, still thoughts of rich, being rich and, you know, having all of this worldly wealth. Or it may just be, and I think most adults in our congregation would be things like anger. Maybe the devil comes and he tempts you with anger towards your family. Anger towards your job. Maybe the devil comes and he tempts you with worry. And he begins to get you to worry about things. If you are really a Christian and God is with you, why can't you pay your bills but yet you tithe? And he gets you to try to worry. Maybe he gets you husbands to start looking at another woman and secretly starting to build a relationship. Most divorces end because of another relationship. That is always tied in most of the time into divorces. You see the things that we look at that are temptation are the things that devil, the devil wants us to feel and to give into. And he knows exactly what entices you. He knows what entices me. How many can say amen? And I want you to turn with me to James chapter 1. We're going to talk about where temptation comes from. We're going to talk about where temptation comes from and how you and I can now fight it. Whether it's you being tempted to smoke. Maybe it's you being tempted to look at pornography. Maybe it's you being tempted to not bring your Bible to church and just look up at the screen every day. Maybe it's you being tempted not to give your tithes and your offerings. Maybe it's you being tempted not to love your wife like you ought. I mean, the temptations are endless. How many know I don't have to spend all day talking about what sin is? How many know what sin is? Amen? We know what sin is. I don't have to go down to Belmont and Clark and tell people that homosexuality is a sin. They know it's a sin. They know what that Bible says, but they choose to walk in darkness. They lie to themselves. We don't have to tell the adulterer that he's sinning. You know looking at pornography is wrong. You know and I know when you lose your temper when you've sinned. 
You know and I know how much you are receiving from the worldly job that you have. And if you don't bless God spiritually up here, you know that. I don't have to come along and say, oh, you know, this is sin, my brother. You know, your tithe is less than I don't have to check your numbers. We know what sin is. Hallelujah. And how many know if you're married, your wife knows what sin is. Amen. <laughs> you know, you, you don't have to go too long without your wife tapping you on the shoulder going, hey, this is not right right here. And my wife and I have had many of those talks that help guide me and lead me with their loving hand. Amen. But I want you to know today that we can overcome temptation. The Bible says Jesus overcame every one of his temptations. We're going to find the secret of that in just a moment. But I want you to see where temptation comes from. Because you know what most of us think right now? Oh, yeah, I'm like Jesus, and the devil tempts me every day. I'm going to show you right now that Jesus was a little bit different than you and I. The devil himself had to tempt him. But I'm going to show you right now where your temptation comes from is right from your own heart. Oh, look out. Look out. Right now, your worst enemy may be that person you see in the mirror. Hallelujah. Help us, Jesus. Look at verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when his own evil desire, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after his desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Where does temptation come from, y'all? Evil desires. Amen. Why don't you stand up for me in the back there, Ish? Go on, stand up. Why don't you do a little little curtsy? Go on, turn around for me a little bit. There you go. Thank you. You may be seated. You may be seated, my brother. Now, that didn't tempt me. There was nothing tempting about that. You know what I'm saying? My brother could spin all he likes. My brother could flaunt it. He could come in walking. He could come in with a mid-rib shirt and a little tie on the side with a little belly button piercing. There's nothing tempting about that. So when the devil tempts me, the devil does not tempt me with ish. He does not say, oh, doesn't ish look good today? Oh, take a look at ish, my hell. But Nancy, stand up for me. Everybody guard their heart because this is a beautiful woman now. Go and turn around for me. Now, before I got married, that was temptation for me. Because when I began to see my wife, it was a temptation for me to want to undress her with my eyes. Can I be real with you all today? Or do you want me to be that religious pastor that never is being honest with anybody? I'm just going to be real with you. See, I suffer temptation like how Jesus did. But you see, Jesus, because he was the God-man, the difference between him and I, is that he was perfect in his flesh. So no temptation came from his flesh. He did not have the flesh of Adam and Eve and from those generations. He had the divine flesh given to him through the Holy Spirit. But it was like ours, but it was divinely birthed. So he did not get Adam and Eve's sinful nature. But you and I have our sinful nature. So where Jesus had to be tempted from the outside, from the devil, we are tempted from the inside on our own self, by our own self. You're all listening. And what the devil does and what sin does is tempts you with things that you want. And so the devil knows that in my evil flesh, I, at that time, I wanted a wife. And so he didn't bring me Ishmael, and like I said, him being flirtatious and things like that. What the devil would do is use my flesh when I would wake up in the morning in my meditation. And, 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 and the devil would say, just go ahead and think about what you're going to do when you get married. You see, he comes in such a way where it sounds right. 
And that began to be temptation because the Bible calls that lust. To look after a woman, the Bible says in Matthew 5, which we're going to get to, and the lust after her is to commit adultery in your heart. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. So look at this right here. Here is how temptation works. Evil desires of one's own flesh. Now, the devil loves to get this working. He loves to get it from the outside and the inside. But you by yourself can concoct these ideas. Evil desires of one flesh. That's where it starts. Then number two, we're dragged away and enticed by the desire in the mind. You see, some of us think since we're tempted, we're already sinning. And that's one of the lies of the devil. He wants you to think because you already thought it, that that means you've already done it. And what you and I have to learn is that the battle of temptation starts in our mind. Everybody say our mind. You see, it starts right there in the mind. The moment the devil was tempting Jesus with these thoughts of what he should do, Jesus began to confront it with the word. The moment you begin to have temptation come from the devil, your own flesh, and you begin to hear those thoughts in your mind, you need to confront it with the word. Amen? says that we're dragged away. Number three, then the thought turns to action. Now that's the sin. And some thoughts are just sin as well. And we're going to distinguish that in a minute. But many times before we engage in sin, it starts as a thought of temptation towards that sin. And number four, sin, when it is left alone, brings death. Now I want to show you all how this works today. When we were created, we were made in the image of God. Everyone say the image of God. Now God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. Amen? Now, we are made in that same image, three in one. We are a body, and the body consists of the, four, uh, the five senses, what we touch, taste, see, smell, and hear. Then we have a soul that is our inward man. That inward man is where our mind, will, and emotions are. That's what makes me Joe. That's what makes Sue Ellen Sue Ellen. It's just not the color of our hair and the flesh. It's that inward part of us. And then lastly... There is a spirit inside of us. Now, the Bible talks about that the spirit and soul, they are like one, and only God and the Word can separate it. So they are one. So when your body dies, your spirit and soul go to heaven or to hell. Is everybody with me? Okay. Now, watch this right here. When Adam and Eve were created, they had a perfect body. They had a perfect mind. And they had a perfect relationship with God. They could see God because their flesh was perfect. Their mind was perfect. And they could walk naked in the presence of God without any shame, and all they thought about was their relationship with God. What covered their nakedness was not earthly clothes, but it was the glory of God's Spirit. And so when they walked and talked with God, it was shaking God's hand, it was feeling God's presence, it was hearing God's thought, it was a spiritual connection that affected their body, soul, and mind. Are you all listening right here? But when they were in the garden, they had a choice. See, their soul had a choice. Jesus said, here are two gardens, I mean two trees in the garden. One is called the tree of life. One is the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. He said, do not eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, because when you eat of it that day, you shall surely what? You shall surely what? You shall surely die. Now, you know the story. Adam and Eve walk up. They eat the forbidden apple, whatever that fruit was, and they die. But hold on. Did their body fall over? Now, they didn't just knock out, did they? Did they become brain dead and just, you know, not even know their name? What died that day? Their spirit. And they realized then instantly they were naked. Why? The light went off. The glory left. 
All they knew then was their flesh. All they then knew was their own mind. You see, before, the Spirit was connected to God. So the Spirit was their primary source of life. And their Spirit was what life was always translated as. And that went to the mind, and that went to the body. But the moment that was disconnected, they no longer had God thoughts in their mind. Now their own mind was telling them things to think. Now they began to see and hear things differently. They felt naked. I mean, they were naked. They felt ashamed. They went and hid from God. Are you all listening to me? Where before God was their best friend. The Bible says they walked with God in the cool of the day. Now they hide from God. See, sinners are still hiding from God. We are still ashamed, aren't we? And now we don't know that we're supposed to be connected. See, 6,000 years have passed since our disconnect with God, and we don't understand that He wants to reconnect with us. Some people are walking in darkness, and they think that this world is only meant to be darkness. They don't know that there's a light in this world named Jesus Christ, and they're meant to be connected to Him. Amen? You see, some people think it's normal to wake up and be homosexual. Why? Because in their mind, it all makes sense. Why, you know, I'm attracted to a man, and this is what I feel like doing. They don't understand. Your mind can deceive you. You ever lied to yourself? You ever thought something that wasn't true? Have you ever made a mistake? Your mind is a corrupted hard drive. This computer needs to be rebooted and started over with Jesus Christ. And people don't understand that. People say, well, I was born this way. Hello, let me just reduce every argument down. Well, I was born angry. You don't know what family I come from. I was born attracted to this type of person. Listen to me. We were all born sinners, period. I don't care how your mind was corrupted, it is corrupted. You may be, uh, have a tendency towards depression, self-loathing. You may have a tendency toward uh, ladies to hate yourself, be anorexic. Somebody might have a tendency of being boastful and proud. And another person may have a tendency to be sexually perverted. Another one may have a tendency to be angry. It doesn't matter. This mind now is corrupted. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. I'm helping you understand this today. Come on. So when sin came into Adam and Eve, it then affected every part. The light went off, disconnect from God. The mind now becomes the worst enemy. Yeah, we can figure out 2 plus 2 equals 4. We can have rational thinking. But all of a sudden, sometimes our thinking gets confused, and we'll start doing things against our own conscience. You, know, you and I knew a lie was wrong, but we still told them, didn't we? You and I knew it was wrong to have sex before marriage, but many of us did. We knew it was wrong to do many things, but we began to give in to sin because we didn't know how to fight it. And then now what this culture is doing is now it's approving sin. See, instead of fixing the problem, instead of saying, hey, let's get reconnected with God, let's reboot this hard drive called the mind, get it transformed, and start obeying God. Now what people are doing is saying, hey, let's just forget that there ever was a God. Let's just live disconnected from this being, and now let's make up our own rules. Whatever we felt bad about before, let's say it's okay. That's what people are doing. That's how morality is being defined. Ask any atheist, if you do not use God to define your morality, you have to then use a man, a sinner, fallen creature to define your own morality. Somebody says, oh, the book's just written, by, the Bible's just written, written by men. Well, so are the laws. Are you going to just forget the laws and start killing people? You see, even if you say the Bible's just a book written by men, well, so are you. You're just a man, and you decide how you live. I would rather listen to men that actually had a conscience and acknowledge there's a God than to listen to some bozo that approves of killing babies in wombs and trying to mess this whole place up. Are you listening? 
You know, Hitler wasn't an idiot. Hitler was a genius. And Hitler and people like them dominate societies. And we still see it in communist nations. Because what they do is they convince people that the rational mind is all you need for a happy life. But the rational mind left by itself brings death. Every time. And it will bring social oppression. Give it enough time. Give the liberal agenda of America enough time. And we'll watch the fall of America like the Roman Empire. Somebody say help us. This is the state that this world is in where we are in. Hence the reason why Jesus came in the book of John, which we're going through with our youth, and taught this concept of being born again. Hello. You need to be born again. Yes, your mom and dad gave you a birth, and you're pretty cute. You're pretty handsome. We all look cool. We got some things going up here. We could put two plus two together. But, hey, we also need to be born again because we need to get reconnected to God and figure out what real life is about. Amen? Because real life is more than just making a couple bucks and having a family reproducing DNA. Life is about fulfilling a God-given purpose. we got to reconnect to God. What's the first part of this church's vision? Connect. Everybody say Connect. That's the first part, connecting to God. I should have said strategy. There you go. I'm sorry. Now look what happens when a man is born again or a woman is born again. Bam, the light comes on. I unplug a lamp from its light socket. It goes off. I plug it in. It goes on. You get back connected to God. You will then start feeling convicted about cursing. Then sins will become real sin to you again. Some of us have lived so far out in the world that sin does not feel like sin anymore. I was talking to some people, and they were saying, hey, what's wrong with Hooters? This was a supposed Christian. They were saying, hey, man, I like their wings, you know. And I'm like, brother, ask anybody in America what Hooters is about. They may say their wings, but there's one thing that proceeds before the wings. Hence the name. Are you all listening to me? I got some of you giggling because you've been with me when we've heard these silly arguments. But you know what? The moment you get born again... You now have a conviction against Hooters because you can see it now. The light's been turned on. I shut off all the lights in here. I start putting landmines in this building. It's pitch black, and I say, Charles, find your way out. Good luck. One step wrong, he blows himself up. And that's what this world is doing without Jesus. It has no moral compass. It has no sense of right and wrong. And they're blowing themselves up with lust and anger and divorce and adultery and, and all of these sins, bitterness and envy and gossip and unforgiveness. And when you get connected to Jesus, the lights come on and you begin to see those things what they are. And you're like, man, I'm getting away from unforgiveness. I'm getting away from perversion because this connection with God is worth everything to me. I don't want to disconnect it again. Amen. Once you realize how great it is to be with God, you won't want to turn away. That's what it means to be born again. So this is what God is talking about here. You get saved. And you begin to say, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to begin to let my mind be the mind of Christ. I'm going to begin to think about the things of God. And I'm going to begin to act that way. You could think of it this way. Your spirit is the engine. Your, or rather, excuse me, your spirit is the driver. Your soul is the engine. And your flesh is the car. You have to get in with Jesus in your spirit and say, I'm going to begin to use my mind, my will, and my emotions in my body to produce good fruit for God. Are you all listening to me? Think of that illustration. Your spirit needs to be in control with God and use your soul for the good things of God and make your body obey what God wants to do. The devil cannot make you pick up a cigarette, slap your neighbor, you know what I'm saying? Your your body can't make you sleep in. All of these things, you have control. And once you get empowered by God, get connected, you'll get some Holy Ghost energy. I call it nitrous oxide for the soul. If anybody knows about racing cars, it's like, push the button. 
you know what I'm talking about? We need to get some of that fuego de Dios. Amen. We need to get the fire of God in our spirit, through our soul, moving in our body. Amen. That's the Holy Ghost lifestyle. That's what God wants. It's called the Spirit-led life. You read, you read about this in Galatians chapter 5. This is all teaching us how to fight temptation. I haven't forgot about Jesus. We're going back in just a second. But this is what happens now. Your battles between the Spirit and the flesh. Your flesh will use things against your spirit, but you now have a choice on which decision you want. And what the Bible begins to say is this. Without God in your life, yourself is the boss. You have a throne inside your heart, your, your free will, and you put S for self there. You make your own decisions. You do what you want. And in your mind is everything you can do for yourself. At the end, when game is over, life is over, you will find out this is punished by God. This will not last in eternity. This, however, is the Christian life. This is what true salvation is. People do not go to hell just because they have sex outside of marriage, drink and booze and do all those things. People go to hell because they reject Christ and live for self. Are you listening to me? Adam and Eve did not shoot up heroin and molest little children. What caused their spirit to die was putting their self before God's spirit. Are you listening to me? We go to hell as a result of not reconnecting with God. Sin is a byproduct of us not connecting. Connected to God. So I want you all to understand this. It is not about, oh, I make myself a better person. You can try and try all day, make yourself a better person, but you will still never get connected to God. That lamp can be right up here next to that socket and paint itself purple and pink and put all types of light bulbs in it, but it counts for nothing until it gets plugged into Jesus. Amen? And then once it gets plugged in, it doesn't have to make itself turn on. It doesn't say, I'm going to turn on and be a bright light. Once it plugs in, it's the automatic reaction for it to turn in, turn on and be bright. You don't have to make yourself a better person. You don't have to try so hard, oh, I'm going to fight temptation. No, get plugged into Jesus. Make Jesus the Lord of your life and let him put some fire in your soul, amen, in the word of God in your mind. Some of us think when we come to church, the word of God is going to boop, pop you on the head and you're going to walk around going, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He always leads me, you know, you think you're going to get all this. No, see, it's a choice. Do you stay the boss of your life and think on things for yourself? Or do you give Jesus your life, he becomes your Lord, and then you say, I think on your things. I make the choice. Somebody say amen. You want to see how this works? Let me skip ahead a little bit. When Jesus is tempted, what was his weapon against the devil? It is written, the word of God. The word of God was Jesus' weapon against temptation. Devil said, hey, Turn the rocks into bread. It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When the devil came to him and tried to put these attacks in his mind, he said right back with the sword of the word of God. He said, it is written, devil. Now let me ask you a question. If Jesus, God in the flesh, fought temptation with the Bible, how do you think you and I should fight temptation? Call up sister so-and-so and gossip about it for a little bit. Go out and watch a movie. I want to ask you a question. Why is it you and I think that we're going to go through life and fight temptation some other way than the way Jesus did? The only way you are going to fight temptation is the same way Jesus fought temptation. We have to know the Word. 
You know what I love about Jesus? It's when he was tempted by the devil. He didn't say, hold on, let me look this up. Let me see. I know it's somewhere in this Bible that I'm not supposed to listen to you. Where is that scripture found? No, right when he was tempted by the devil, Jesus knew it by heart. He said, no, devil. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Hence, I'm memorizing it right now. You need to learn to memorize the word of God and speak the word of God because that's your weapon against inward temptation and the things of this world. Amen. Then Jesus said, uh, the devil came up to him and said, hey, throw yourself down. And he said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to test. You know what's so uh, amazing about the devil? This will blow your mind. You know how the devil tempted Jesus that second time? With the word. You don't think the devil knows that Bible? I've met so many people that try to use that Bible to justify their lifestyle. But he said, he'll always forgive me. I was talking to a man last night. I know I'm kind of picking on the gay community today. We love them, by the way. Many in our church have come from that lifestyle, or, you know, we've had them here. And, uh, you know, I was talking to this guy, and he's like, uh, you know, I know it's wrong. Okay, granted, he knows it's wrong. We're still preaching. Well, I'm like, you understand, if you die in that state, that's, you, you go to hell. And that offended him. And so what he then began to do is quote the word of God back to me. Well, the Bible says God is love. You see, the devil knows the Bible. And he wants to put it in your mind, just like he put it in that man's mind. Well, I know it's a sin for me to do this, but there's this other scripture over here that's totally taken out of context that I couldn't even tell you where it's found, but somebody told me somewhere along the line that it said that. But I'm going to believe that scripture means I can do whatever I want. Oh, God is love. But why don't you read, my friend, the next couple of verses, and if you love God, you keep his commands. The devil didn't tell you that one, did he? Hello? See, the devil didn't tell you that one, did he? See, the devil will come and tempt you and say, oh, you know what? I don't have to go to church because that's just a building. The Bible says I'm saved by grace, you know. And the devil will tell you, oh, you're just saved by grace, you cute little thing, you. You don't need to go to church. You're so good already. Just stay at home. There's a special place in heaven for you. But he didn't tell you about the other one that said, do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren. Are you all listening to me? You see, you got to know the word. See, the devil tempted him with the word. He used Psalm 91. He said, Jesus, it says if you strike your foot against a stone, they're going to uphold you. And if you fall, angels are going to pick you up. That's what the Bible says, Jesus. Why don't you do it now? See, the, the devil used the Bible, but then Jesus had to show the context, and Jesus went right back. No, 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 no. This is the real context. Don't test the Lord your God. Read the whole Bible, people. I know God is love. Of course God loves us. God also is a judge. Are you listening to me? I know God is full of grace, but he's also full of truth. I know that there's a heaven, but there's also a hell. Would you read the whole Bible? Somebody say amen. And then lastly, Jesus is tempted to worship the devil. And then Jesus says, no, worship the Lord thy God and serve him only. I want to ask you a question today. How well do you know the word of God? Right now, your biggest temptations, my biggest temptations will only be fought with this word. How well do you know it right now? I want everyone to get out a piece of paper and a pen in closing today. Write out three major temptations of your life. I'll put out mine right now. Anger, worry, and lust. Those are my three temptations. Every man that is in this place that has a heart beating, I bet you lust will be somewhere in that three. When I talk to men, you know what I tell men? Hey, brother, I face it just like you, man. And if you don't face the temptation of lust, God bless you. Let me have you preach next week. 
Let me set up a little shrine for you. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of, you know, praise you here. We'll, we'll put a little wreath around your neck and throw flowers at your feet. But how many men would say that lust is still a temptation? Come on, men. But we fight it every day, and we win. What are your three top temptations right now? What are the three temptations that come into your life? Maybe it's doubt. I don't believe, I don't believe what pastor's saying. I don't think that this is real. I don't think it's that really that big of a deal, you know? I mean, come on. I mean, that was Jesus 2,000 years ago, and I mean, times have changed, and you know, we don't have to take it literal. You're doubting. Put that down. You know what C.S. Lewis said? Doubt your doubts. Why don't you doubt the thing you're doubting? We make our doubts sound like they're as concrete as anything else. Now, doubt your doubt. Why are you doubting that the Word of God is not the Word of God? Why don't you doubt why you don't want to listen to me today? Why aren't you listening to me? Well, you, you figured it out better than me. You've read more than me. Why, why do you think? See, doubt your doubts. Maybe it's fear, anger. Come on, three things. Three temptations and then put right next to them the Word of God. It is written. It is written. And then now you'll begin to be able to see how you're doing in your fight against temptation. How are we doing in this church against temptation? What I love about Jesus is that when he was tempted, he did not use his supernatural Superman powers to fight the devil and pimp slap him to the ground. What he did is use the word. Because you know what? You and I could not be slapping the devil down. You and I don't have that type of power like that. But you know what Jesus said? I'm going to face temptation like the way Dahlia faces it. He put himself in the most, uh, most, uh, the most uh, comparable situation to what you and I would face, and even worse, just to show you and I how to win. Why do you think Jesus was baptized? you think Jesus really needed to be baptized? He's God himself. Why was he baptized? To show us to be baptized. Do you think Jesus needed to pray? When we begin to read the Bible, you're going to understand Jesus himself said, I pray so that they can hear me talk to you. He taught us to pray. He, he did not have to pray. He could think and it would be done. All of the things Jesus does, which is so amazing, he does for us. It is God coming down to show us who he is. And so you need to fight it with the word. What's your word that you have down there? I want to give you four things that we all need to do with the Bible. Number one, we need to read the Word, obviously. We will not come to church and receive a supernatural understanding of that Bible. You must purpose in your life to sit down and read the Bible. I challenge all people to read an hour a day. And if that is too hard, then I ask you then to document what you spend your time doing every day. Do a time management list and begin to see where does your hour go. Does your hour go to the phone? Does it go to TV, rest and relaxation, cooking meals? I will guarantee you, you will find an hour that you can use towards the Word of God. Read your Word. Number two, believe the Word. Until you come to a place where it is not believable, and we as pastors cannot answer your question, take it at its word. It has not lied to you yet. It has not guided you in a wrong direction. Matter of fact, it is, has been shown to be true throughout the generations. This is the bestseller in the world. Jesus' name is the most popular book. And the manuscripts of this work of antiquity are attested with 24,000 manuscripts, more than the history of Rome. This Bible is verifiable and reliable in Jesus. Jesus name amen so believe it until other you have another reason not to and come to us and we'll help you out number three speak the word 
One of the key skills of memorizing Scripture is to speak the Word. What I did today reading Scripture is what they did in the Jewish synagogues, and we ought to do it more. That's why I, I, I love reading passages of Scripture here, because this ought to be a time when you read it and speak it and learn it. And by yourself, you have to speak it to memorize. It is a part of memorization. You need to get by yourself, and as the Word begins to apply to the parts of your life, you should apply it, uh, put it in your prayer and say, God, I've just read in your Word that it says right here that you have not given me the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. I claim that right now, and I pray, Lord, that you will give me that power, love, and a sound mind, and take away fear out of my heart. Amen? Begin to speak the Word and live the Word. Obey the Word. James talks about not being a hearer only, but being a doer. Begin to apply the Word. Everybody say, work the Word, and it will work for you. Come on, look to your neighbor and say, neighbor, carry the Word, and it will carry you. Amen? That's where it's at. Now, of course, we're born again by God's Spirit, but what does God's Spirit use in our life? The Word of God. Would you all stand with me today in closing? Man, would you join me up here today? God bless you guys. Hopefully today you've learned the Word. If you've learned the Word, can you say amen? Praise God. Thank you for coming today. I want to now show you the end of the message. Here are some scriptures that talk about this. Philippians 2.5 Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see that, Alex? You are asked to have the same mind that Jesus had. Now, either this Bible is lying to us. It's saying, have the same pixie dust that uh, Tinkerbell has. It's either like that, a fairy tale, or this is real. How many believe the Bible today? Now, if I said to you, let's all have pixie dust, pixie, pixie dust like Tinkerbell, would you all believe that? There's a difference between fiction and nonfiction, right? Is this true? Then look what you and I are supposed to have. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What type of mind did Jesus have? The mind of the Word. He said later on, I do nothing unless I see my Father in heaven do it. He lived a life based upon the Word of God. Here's another scripture. Romans 12, verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everybody say, renewing. That word right there in the Greek is metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosized. What this is saying is be transformed by the renew. Rather, the word transformed is metamorphosized. What it's saying is look at your mind like a caterpillar. When you were born again, even as a Christian. See, I'm talking to Christians now. Your spirit was made new like that. And you knew that you were saved. You could feel the nitrous. You could feel the fuego. It's starting to go through you. You're like, yeah, man, I'm feeling Jesus. And other people are like, hallelujah. I feel the Lord. Okay, however you feel it, amen. But watch. Your mind stayed the same. When I got born again, it's not like I was like, whoa. Wow, I want to be a pastor. Somebody hand me that Bible. I'm going to start preaching. No. I thought to myself, wow, that felt pretty good, but I want to have a cigarette now. See, my mind was the same. Oh, that was cool, man. I'm waking up in the morning, but I want to get high. Oh, look at that girl walk by. I love Jesus, but I like that too. See, the mind stayed the same. So think of when you become born again, that connection starts. It's connected to God, but the mind has to be renewed every day, transformed like a caterpillar into that beautiful butterfly. So when people are telling me, oh, pastor, it's going to take time for me to be a Christian, they actually have this thing backwards. 
The connection to God is instantaneous. You have to want it. You have to desire it. Repent of your sin and be saved right now. You can get on fire for Jesus and feel the connection. It says, boop, plug in. Amen? But the next thing is called sanctification. And that is now where you become perfect like Jesus. And hello, I'm still not that perfect little butterfly yet. And neither are you. We are still being metamorphosized, transformed. And how are we being transformed? By the renewing of our mind, making it new, rebooting that hard drive. And how do you restart your mind? With the Word of God. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But Jesus, every day I need you to renew my mind. And in another scripture it says, take every thought captive. A thought comes into your mind, oh, I'm going to lust. No, take that captive and cast it down and say, no, I'm going to be pure as God said. And keep renewing your mind. You may say, well, Pastor, it kind of sounds like mind over matter. No, 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 it's spirit over matter. It's you trusting God through this connection that his word is real. It's not that I'm just imagining a better place. No, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be angry again. Everybody loves me. I'm a likable person. You know, This is not like mind over matter, like self-delusion. No, it's spirit over matter. It's saying God's word created this whole universe, and God's word still controls this whole universe, and my little cantaloupe-sized brain can still be transformed by God's, by, by God's power. God's bigger than my thoughts. You see, because when you and I give in to sin, what we're really saying is that the devil and our flesh is bigger than God's word. And that's not true. I want to show you these two scriptures in closing today. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scriptures God breathed. God breathed that word into men, and men began to write inspired by God. It wasn't just their idea like Shakespeare or Beethoven. It came from God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every good thing you want to do in life, God's word is going to equip you to do it. If I sent you out right now to build a skyscraper with a little toothpick, you'd be like, hey, dude, I'm not going to be able to get this done. But if I sent you out there with a hundred people and, and a crane and all types of stuff, you would be well equipped. Amen. God is not sending you to fight temptation just with your little toothpick. He is sending you with the sword, the word of God. You are well equipped. Everybody say, I am well equipped for every good work. Amen. Look at 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. So everything you and I get tempted with, depression, anger, lust, that's common to everybody. Once again, someone might be more susceptible to others, but every man is going to face temptation, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also, come on somebody, provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, I've had people say, oh, pastor, I I lost my dad. I got so depressed. I was so upset when I lost my family member. And the Bible said that God would not let me be more tempted than I could bear. And I, I gave up on God. Why did he do that? Because you didn't read the rest of the scripture. And the devil is a liar. But God is faithful because your way out was the word of God. And while you were moping and talking about how God left you, you were supposed to take the word 
and put it in your mouth and begin to say, I praise you, Jesus. You are faithful. I may not feel it or see it, but I declare your word to be true. It is written, you will never leave me nor forsake me. It is written, though a thousand come at one side and ten thousand at another, the destruction will not come with me. You said, O Lord, in your word, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Your way out, my friend, is the word of God that says we're more than conquerors, that says Jesus Christ is more than enough. When you are tempted, call on God's faithfulness. Carry his word because it will carry you. Walk with God and he'll walk with you and you will walk through temptation because God is good. Let's praise the Lord in this house. Come on, glory. We thank you, Jesus. Come on, just begin to worship him right now. Whatever you're going through, begin to speak the word. Begin to speak the word. Devil, you're a liar. That's in the word. Jesus, you said you'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. Hallelujah. Come on, those three temptations that you're facing right now. Begin to speak the word. Speak the word. It is written. It is written. The Bible says the mind set upon God is a mind at peace. It is written. He will give me peace that transcends my understanding. I receive peace of mind. Hallelujah. The Bible says in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Somebody needs to receive some joy today. Hallelujah. The Bible says in John chapter 8, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Brother, sister, if you're being hooked on drugs, alcohol, any addiction, you need to call on Jesus and say, set me free, Lord. Set me free, Lord. Woo! Come on, come on, let's just praise God. Let's speak the Word today. Let's speak the Word. Come on, you need to know your Bible. You need to speak your word. Devil, you're a liar. You are a liar. You are a liar. In Jesus' name, we speak the word. We speak the word. We speak the word. The Bible says that after Jesus Christ raised from the dead, that the dominion of this earth was taken from the devil and handed to Christians. The Bible says the kingdom of of heaven suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. You and I have authority by the word of God to go into the devil's kingdom and command him to loose the people and bring them out. We can plunder hell and populate heaven. And so right now, let's begin to pray for those who are still living in darkness darkness but need to see the light of Christ right now begin to pray for the lost come on let's pray come on lift up your voice we haven't come to a library or museum we've come to church hallelujah I claim Belmont and Clark for Jesus right now devil you're a liar Jesus said whatever I bind on earth will be